0: Welcome back to the Sports Politica podcast, the show that guides you through the deep underbelly of sports and politics. I am your host, Karim Zidan, and today I am back with an important episode that revolves around the growing demands to sanction Israel in sports for the ongoing destruction of Gaza. To discuss this topic, I spoke with Doctor Katarina Pajetlovic an assistant professor of law at the Cattolica Global School of Law and the author of the book EU Sports Law and Breakaway Leagues in Football. Caterina is also one of the co-organizers of a petition to suspend Israel in sports that was published by the Democracy in Europe Movement 2025. The petition has garnered more than 81,000 signatures to date. I met Katarina at the Play the Game conference in Trondheim, Norway, just last month, where I heard her speak about the double standards in international sports organizations' handling of Israel-Palestine in comparison to its treatment of Russia following its invasion of Ukraine. Given that this is a subject I have written about myself, I knew then that I had to have her on the show to really flesh out these ideas. Now, without further ado, here is the interview. Hi Kat, how are you? It's a pleasure to have you on Sports Politica.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, so I had to have you as soon as uh, we we actually met in, in in Trondheim just a couple of weeks ago in in Norway for the Play the Game 2024 conference. And I have to admit your talk there was one of the best at the the entire conference and got one of the longest ovations thereafter. And it was really because you were one of the few people who actually talked about Uh, The situation in Gaza right now, the ongoing genocide and ethnic cleansing and what FIFA and UEFA should actually be doing about it. Believe it or not, for a conference where we were discussing sports and politics for four days, there was very little proper discussion about Palestine. So it really was a breath of fresh air to have you there and to and to listen to you talk about it. I want to pinpoint and I'm going to be linking for for our, our listeners. I'm going to be linking to Kat's presentation in the actual substack post so you'll get a chance to listen to it but i really wanted to uh, start by talking about this one line you had that i thought really drew a visceral reaction from the crowd and, a, and, a, and a, it was really an important line which is gianni infantino doesn't feel palestinian today can you delve into that a bit more and tell me it, what you were thinking and and why that line specifically
1: um well i'm pretty sure uh, your listeners are aware of that Jenny Infantino's infamous speech where he said that he feels disabled, he feels gay, he feels, uh, yeah, he missed to say woman, but he included that later on. Um, And uh, he kind of said that he understands what discrimination is. That was the point of the speech uh, when migrant worker issue in Qatar was uh, being addressed by the, well, everybody pretty much in the sports uh, community. Um, So, my point was to say, well, he doesn't feel Palestinian, apparently, and that is because uh, there is no reaction, no action from FIFA or UEFA at all, uh, or international sports community altogether regarding what is going on in Gaza now, uh, with uh, Israel's actions, Um, and I have compared that to the action in relation to Russia and Ukraine. Uh, When Russia invaded Ukraine, we saw the reaction immediately. Within hours, there was a letter of condemnation from all the sports governing bodies. Within four days only after invasion, there was a full suspension of Russia. So my point is that apparently the mechanisms to address uh, the breaches of international law and human rights uh, do exist do exist for the sports governing bodies. So why are they not applying these very uh, standards to Palestinians and Israel as well? Um, There is no uh, word from any of them except for, uh, as you might have seen, that uh, after my speech two days uh, after that, uh, Associated Press has published an article where they said uh, that Cheferin, the president of UEFA, said that they are not even thinking about banning Israel. Um, and he previously said that it is a hard issue to comment on. And that is something that I don't understand. It was not hard when we had problems with regard to other countries, not just Russia. We are talking also Yugoslavia, South Africa, Azerbaijan, and so on. And now suddenly there is a huge problem when we are witnessing the most horrific images of our lifetimes and the gravest breaches of humanitarian laws, uh, international um uh, laws of of all kinds, in fact there are dozens, if not hundreds, of international conventions and UN resolutions being breached. So um, there is a clear double standard in approach by the sports governing bodies.
0: You mentioned a double standard and I really want to understand why these international bodies and organizations have seen these previous conflicts as so black and white, so that they're willing immediately when Russia invaded Ukraine to put out these statements and to take immediate action. I mean, Russia was made into a pariah state in no time, in a matter of days from the invasion. So why not take action in a situation like, you know, what we're seeing unfold in Palestine, in Gaza in particular, which as you said, the the amount of war crimes, the amount of breaches of humanitarian laws uh, taking place, it should also be black and white. So why isn't it? Uh,
1: Well, I am uh, pretty sure that uh, anybody who follows the international politics and sports politics in particular knows that the sport is not apolitical. It does not practice political neutrality as it claims that it does. It is a fantasy, right? So we do know that there are powerful political actors influencing everything that is happening and all the decisions of the sports governing bodies. Uh, there are powerful lobby groups uh, that perhaps finance these organizations that have a lot of say uh, through their, whether through the sponsors or through something else. Um, And obviously they are under pressure uh, and they choose profitability over um, non-discrimination principle and profitability over, well, ultimately really Uh, human rights, because um, we do know that Human Rights Watch has already, even before this uh, ongoing uh, uh, massacre, we do know that Human Rights Watch was pointing out that FIFA and UEFA were actually engaging in human rights abuses by supporting the illegal uh, Israeli settlement clubs, and by not applying their own rules, and that is territorial rules, that you cannot be in one association and play in another so as much as in europe uh somebody from belgium a club from belgium wouldn't be able to play in german league and host matches of german german league on the belgian territories that's how the clubs from illegal settlements in west bank which is palestine association territory uh, cannot really host israeli league matches which they are doing and they're also participating in israel so clear breach of and this has nothing to do with politics really Mm -hmm but it has been ignored even before, and this despite the fact that many organizations representing millions and millions of people around the world have written to them, despite the fact that 66 members of European Parliament have written to these organizations, to FIFA in particular, asking them to apply their own rules, uh, which they don't, but they would gladly apply them in any other case. So, for instance, Uh, In Russia, when Russia actually wanted to do the same thing with Crimea clubs, they instantly suspended it. And that is, again, a very obvious uh, indicator that there are things happening on the level that is not purely sporting, that has nothing to do with sport, that is purely political, in fact, and that prefers, obviously, uh, the Western-centric point of view.
0: But the hypocrisy is really stark, though, because you think of you think of FIFA, you think of Gianni Infantino. It was only a few years ago that he stood at the so-called Museum of Tolerance in Jerusalem and declared that he would love to see Israel and its Arab neighbors uh, co-host a World Cup. So. And in, in, on the one hand, and right, this is after, it's not like, it's not like October 7th happened in a bubble. There have been previous uh, acts of war and, and, and aggression between, between Israel and Hamas over the years. So it's not like he's coming out of the blue thinking that everything was peaceful and wonderful at the time. So he, out, of, out of one side of his mouth, he says something like that, presenting the idea that sports and especially these massive organizations like FIFA and the IOC can be these harbingers of peace yet on the other side he takes no action and infantino is slight let me say slightly better in that at least he issued letters of condolences i guess to to the palestinian and israeli football federations but it stopped there shouldn't if this is someone who is aware that or believes in the romantic notion that his organization can bring about peace well then why isn't he trying to do so <laughs>
1: Well, exactly for the same reason I've discussed in uh, just uh, in your previous question. Uh, he's obviously under the influence of uh, power collectors, lobby groups that um, do require certain allegiance of him. Um, and in that allegiance, I guess he's required to turn a blind eye to everything that Israel does, not just in sports, really. Uh, by fielding in these uh, clubs from illegal settlements, but also what it does uh, politically and uh, whatever international uh, laws are breached, that's supposed to be tolerated as well. And uh, now we we have seen a big international uh, movement coming from several places and just growing um, BDS movement, for instance, PACB in particular that's Palestinian action for cultural and sporting boycott of Israel, Uh, they have in fact uh, issued a call to disrupt the Olympics in Paris 2024, uh, just this morning. And uh, they're calling for people to disrupt these events peacefully, uh, where Israel is allowed to participate. So it seems like when political processes fail uh, and international law is slow, and sports governing bodies do absolutely nothing, that it's on the people to, to organize and to do something about it. True, again, boycotts, divestments and sanctions. And that is the best we can do. Go out, protest, uh, engage in peaceful disruptions of events, block the roads, do whatever you can to, in fact, uh, uh, make it so that uh, you fill in these gaps that are left by all the above. So sports governing bodies, politics, and the law. Uh, it is really come to that.
0: You yourself have also, you know, uh, taken action and that's in that you are one of the co-organizers of the Democracy in Europe uh, movement 2025 petition which has called on Israel to be suspended from sports, right? And you as as last time I checked it had gathered well over 70,000 signatures. That's significant action right there. What drove you to create this petition and are you, do you feel it's all it is as you said uh, filling in those those gaps left behind by the governments.
1: Everything is happening too slowly, everything for my taste. However, that it seems to be the only way to go forward, and it's better late uh, than never. Um, the uh, petition has indeed uh, gathered in, uh, I guess now one and a half months, uh, about seventy-three-four now thousand signatures. Uh, it is uh, co-organized with dm25 movement uh, bds movement is also helping us with it um i have written a 13 pages of letter attached to that petition it's on dm25.org and it can be found right at the opening page so if anybody is interested in details of uh, how the entire uh, 75 years and in particular the last 4 months have affected palestinian sports uh, there is five pages dedicated It of all the deaths, all the destruction, and everything else we have seen. Uh, So, uh, I would just urge people to do what they can, and everybody can do their bit, which is sign these petitions, go out to protests, and uh, engage in this uh, peaceful disruption of events. Uh, What prompted me to do it? Um, Well, it's it's a basic thing, really. Um, I think. Uh, we are all watching these scenes and everybody feels helpless, everybody feels absolutely helpless. And I'm sure that most of the people have found uh, an image or video, at least one or two of them, that, that made them cry, that, that just broke their heart. And everything that's coming out of Gaza is heartbreaking at, at the moment. It's, um, so at some point you are thinking, what is it that I could do in my own field? And this was one of the things that I could do in my own field. And I'm going to push this, I'm going to collect uh, all these actions that are uh, dispersed all around the world, and we are going to send a package together to all the governing bodies and ask them to do something about it. Uh, They cannot ignore this forever, they cannot stick their head in the sand forever. Um, That is the idea of it, and if they refuse to, there is always a boycott of their sponsors that is next, and that is that can be a long-term boycott, and it can create an impact not just on them but also on their sponsors' uh, income.
0: Well, yeah, BBS is absolutely known for uh, for for such for such boycotts as well. I have seen that they they attempted to boycott the Chevron uh, Marathon in Houston earlier this year as well because Chevron, being one of the 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 uh, main uh, Gas providers of uh, for Israel, so we're going to be seeing more of that action, and I have no doubt that we're going to see some of that take place at Paris 2024, a entire event with its own set of controversies and scandals already, not even including what we're seeing now. But it really does feel, to an extent at least, I mean, I it was only like less than a month ago that I wrote a piece calling for making a case at least for, for Israel to be sanctioned from international sport. And really at the time I got a lot of pushback from people, but it seems that with each passing week, the article gets shared more, more people seem to agree, and the tide appears, at least from the outside, to be turning. Right? Like You, you mentioned this, the, the letter signed by by uh, members of European Parliament, right? the colleague on FIFA and UEFA to take what they call decisive action right uh, i'm seeing we've seen uh, irish basketballers refuse to play israel and shake hands with them earlier this month and uh, th- there's i've even seen the one the one that really surprised me because north america you're seeing a lot less uh protests or or even imagery with regarding to, to gaza at all there was a sign calling for a ceasefire at the nba all-star game it feels like the momentum is shifting right now what do you think
1: absolutely i feel the same when i started this uh, it, in fact, was uh, when I decided to do something while it was twelve October, and I was uh, I'm a co-founder and I was a general secretary of union of European clubs. So this was about five or four four or five days after um, the Hamas uh, uh, war crimes they basically what they've committed. Um, and, but immediately the next day, we knew that uh, the response would be disproportionate from the rhetorics of the politicians and everything. So I've, uh, I've come under massive pressure from my organization to delete my tweets that are uh, in support of Palestinian rights. Uh, a guy from executive board uh, has called my tweets disgusting and abhorrent. And another guy is running the club in Israel that is publicly supporting genocide. And I, I quit from that organization in, a, in no time um, and dedicated all my time to this campaign. So um, from that moment to today, you're completely right. There has been a shift. My question is why it took everyone so long? Uh, you were one, one that just from the very start, you saw what is happening and you started writing about it. Others were slow. Me- media is slow to pick up on things. I understand the editors are actually censoring them heavily. There are many journalists out there who would like to write about it, but they cannot get past that uh, editorial process. Uh, but now I see more and more media. Like I was interviewed for Deutsche Welle the other day. Um, uh, I've seen calls issued and reposted by by some of the mainstream media as well and so everybody's kind of starting to discuss it now after I feel like it's a bit too late for them the damage has already been done and I feel like it's irreparable at this point as well Uh, a lot of it uh, certainly the all the lives lost and all the lives that are going every day and that's why I feel it's too slow because every day delayed is another hundred and something souls that are just gone many of them children, which is, again, heartbreaking. And so the speed of it is not satisfactory at all. But the momentum is shifting. I see every, everybody is now gaining courage to, to voice their opinion, uh, which they didn't before. Uh, on Twitter, the situation is different. There are a lot of loud voices. Some of the loudest are Jewish voices, which I'm really happy to see. and. Uh, But uh, on on platforms like LinkedIn, where everything is about work related, you can already see a lot of apprehension and people don't want to touch the topic with 10 foot stick. But I'm now seeing a big shift there as well. There are already people discussing it and um, I'm certainly one that's posting now more and more about it every day.
0: What does this say about... What Israel's done, really, in in the sense that what does this say about the the collapse of Israel's PR for years, for years? And, you know, we've seen this gradually shift, right? Like the Sheikh Jarrah stuff that happened a few years ago. That was a momentum shift where I started seeing mainstream outlets actually condemn Israel. It was around that time that we had Amnesty International actually use the term apartheid on Israel. There were clear shifts happening, but what we're seeing now and the and the level of response we've got, even all the European countries and North American outside of the United States, so including Canada, they're all calling for ceasefires now when they firmly were against ceasefires at the very beginning. This is a true collapse of Israel's PR or have they simply just gone too far in terms of even uh, their their branch of their type of warfare? I mean, the fact that they are willing to openly displace millions of Gazans who are now stuck in Rafah at the border with egypt it's it's horrific behavior to the point that i don't think anybody can deny it but they used to once be better at the propaganda what happened
1: uh it's a very good question and i would uh, i would really like to get into the head of people that are in charge of the pr for israel because um These days, when everything can be checked almost instantaneously, uh, they have been putting all sorts of disinformation, straightforward lies, right on the platforms that is visited by millions worldwide, and that will challenge them. And then they were deleting those tweets that people kind of, you know, uh, figure out wait a minute, this happened 10 years ago in Lebanon. It was not just in Israel. So why would you put the picture of somebody from Lebanon and say that it, it's something that Hamas did? And, of course, everybody knows about 40 beheaded babies and mass rapes and all of that. And right now, uh, we are at the point where it is really hard to believe anything that comes out of uh, the Israel's Twitter account or any of the um, PR people that they have employed, uh, and we know who they are. I know you're following the same probably people as I do. So you know that there are individuals who are paid to lie and lie and lie and present misinformation, and they're completely debunked by all the responses, and they still maintain their posts. So this this is the kind of PR, first of all, that is from that purely... uh, social media point of view, extremely unhelpful for for, for Israel. And of course, the actions that are following all that are atrocious. I don't even want to go into it. I've seen images that I cannot ever get out of my head. I cannot believe how people can actually survive there and what they are being put through. Uh, I understand that now uh, the northern Gaza is being separated by wall from the rest of the Gaza, which um, it's uh, it's incredible especially in the light that all the gas and oil is actually in the north gaza especially because so far uh, we know according to you mentioned amnesty international and um, that they have designated israel as an apartheid state so has human rights watch so has israeli own human rights organization called betselem called it brutal apartheid regime um, and now uh, it, it's it's um, it's this this is all uh, a land grab, Uh, it is to just increase the territory, uh, to get the access, unlimited access to the oil and gas that they were already exploiting, and according to the studies from the UN, we know that there are hundreds of billions uh, of, of, well, dollars or whatever, uh, that that have been taken out in oil and gas from Gaza, and people have never seen any of it, so Israel has been stealing basically oil and gas and right now it's it's going to become uh, their territory uh this is this is what is happening um while the sports governing bodies absolutely don't care that there is a clear breach of dozens of united nations uh, resolutions such as 242 for instance 3379 and so on
0: the question that i that i keep bouncing around in my head here is how effective can sports actually be in in leading to change in such a situation because even these even what you're just telling me right here there is a significant economic and geopolitical factor to this as you mentioned the land grab the oil and gas that's involved in this would sports would say say we achieve Uh, some form of sanctions that that would apply at the Olympic Games, say Israelis have to compete as neutrals, or say we go one step further and they're actually boycotted from certain competitions. Is that enough of an incentive to get the Israeli government to change course? Because it seems that its current far-right government, led by Benjamin Netanyahu and Ben Gvir and these other characters that they have on there, these really ridiculous human beings, Uh, It doesn't seem like they're going to be swayed by something like sports. Uh, What do you think?
1: Well, this isn't obviously something that is in itself and of itself going to end the war. However, it is going to be a significant contributing factor in the overall package uh, that is going to come from international community inevitably sooner or later. And it will altogether put pressure not on government, because as you mentioned, they don't really care about any. They don't. First of all, they don't care about their own people, mm-hmm. and you know. So let's just start from there. Uh, the pressure will come from people, because people want to be a part of international community. Uh, people want to watch their teams play in the sports, uh, and that is uh, what the hope is that it's going to create that pressure together with all other uh, sanctions and boycotts and divestments. and all the other actions that are going to be taken against Israel. They're already in 20% minus downfall for this uh, quarter economically, which is again a big economic hit for the society. Um, The goods have to enter in an unconventional way, which means that logistics are now higher. Um, They can't anymore use the Eilat port, um, which means that goods are more expensive in Israel. Gas is going to be even more expensive. It was always, always very expensive, but now it's going to be very expensive. And people are simply going to, which they are already doing, trying to get rid of Netanyahu. There are protests in Tel Aviv, so let's not forget that Israeli society is not uniform as well, that there are people in there who are really against this. They're not majority, but they are quite vocal and they're quite brave as well.
0: You're absolutely right. They are quite brave. We've seen we've seen Israeli protesters uh, close off close off highways, uh, storm parliament uh, demand for for elections and for change and for Netanyahu to be removed. And we've seen uh, them being silenced in Israel as well. So it's it's in many ways, I guess the term can be heartwarming that at least we're seeing this kind of response from from people, especially people who are involved in this situation as these Israelis are. I do think at the very least, sports can play a, a fascinating symbolic uh, role in, in such conflicts as well. Because I think of Palestine's progression through the AFC Asian Cup over the past uh, few weeks as well. They, there was a historic run for a team that had no business doing as well as they did, given the situation and what they were going through. I mean, some of those players, their family right now are among those sitting in tents in Rafah trying to survive yet they were still able to go out there and perform the way they did. And that, in many ways, that draws attention, that gets you, uh, unifies people behind you in many ways. That's sort of the romantic side of sports that I think can be utilized. And Israel has taken advantage of that in the past. The fact that it could potentially be locked out of stuff like that, well, that's significant in its own way, because we see right now what Palestine is able to gain through that. The question now for me is, who else is going to be able to benefit from something like this? I'm an Egyptian and I know too well the role my own government and my country plays in the, from the blockade long before this uh, before October 7 to what's taking place right now, the continued blockade taking place. So Egypt's hands are dirty, they've always been dirty. But so is the rest of the Arab region as well, and that includes the Gulf. So Saudi Arabia was more than willing to normalize ties with Israel without even considering Palestine just a few months ago. That has changed now. Qatar was a country that sure negotiated for Palestine, but never went out of its way to establish a Palestinian state. Yet Qatar during the AFC Asian Cup presented itself as you know, the, the patron of, of Palestine, the supporter and the protector of Palestine are we watching some sort of you know soft power game taking place here or is this legitimate do you think
1: well there is a shift everywhere and on all levels as we discussed already and one of the levels that i am seeing is that uh, yes perhaps again very late but better late than ever that policy of certain countries that because in those um, in, in egypt where you said Uh, people and government do diverge on the issue of Gaza Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: on Palestine, and so do in other countries as well, Arab countries. So the entire MENA region, and um, so Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and others, Jordan, right? Um, Everything is pretty much, um, uh, I, I think, just like in the West, most of the people are on the side of Palestine in Arabic country more than ever and more than anywhere else. Um, But government and what they are doing is tiptoeing around some very sensitive political issues because we know that Israel is backed by the U.S. and that that is uh, basically uh, (laughs) that they use like a Rottweiler in some way. Um, A bully. I don't think I exaggerate when I say that and that everything has to somehow um, fit their desires and anybody who wants to push back will be ostracized or punished in some way and of course this can work for a while with a few countries but it can't work against everybody because right now I see almost like a split happening over this issue that is much wider geopolitical um, problem and that is that world is dividing into two almost We, we see European countries Siding with the US for God knows what reason uh, and acting like a vassal state of the US. And that is unacceptable to the citizens of the European Union. It is unacceptable that all of these horrors are taking place. And I know that the European Commission has here really earned itself a lot of grief from the people um, with Ursula von von der Leyen um, on the front, that there were calls for her resignation. Mm-hmm. by the same organization that is now leading this uh, petition. Um, and I'm kind of uh, uh, expecting that something will break somewhere, that some some sort of global non-compliance, let's say, or some sort of soft uh, revolution will take place. Uh, it is not un- inconceivable that it might happen because uh, everything is becoming harder and harder in every country. We see cost of living grazing, we see pressures from everywhere, and I think in that sense sport will fall into this general overall pushback against governments and against the authorities. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's an excellent point because really it shows you that the world is dividing on these tribal and political lines right now, and that's a lot of where we end up on these debates you pick a side based on where your politics lie and i think that's always been so problematic especially as we diverge away from what governments are doing so if that's the case and if we know that people are going to make their decisions based unfortunately on whatever ideology they hold political or otherwise how do we appeal to people's humanity when it comes to palestine because that's really what we need here it's their empathy and their humanity to understand that this goes beyond politics this isn't you know what I mean? Like This is this is a humanitarian crisis and human rights are not political. So how do we appeal to people and make that make sense to them?
1: Well, I can only say that uh, my personal uh, attitude towards polit- belonging to any political grouping or ideologically or, or otherwise uh, is probably a wrong thing to do because there is not a single group that you can agree on everything with. So what you should do is look at the issue itself and agree with yourself whether or not you can support that. And simply support the, all of those that support that issue. On another issue, maybe support that political party. You know, whereas on the issue of, uh, let's say, Russia and Ukraine, you might be completely against what um, somebody was saying or doing. You can completely agree on this with them uh, or, or vice versa. So it is always uh, choose the issues and not the political parties, they lied uh, about pretty much all the important things that happened in the world in the past uh, several decades. We are finding out now some things. Uh, Julian Assange's uh, trial is today, whether or not he's extradited to the US, and that also ties in very well with you know, so we were lied to about Iraq, we were lied about uh, what Vietnam uh, when I wasn't even born, but of course we, we now know better. We were lied pretty much about every war that there was. So people always have to wonder are they telling me the truth now? You know, it's uh, it's just the very basic things. Uh, stop watching mainstream media, get on some, uh, they will, probably social media platform like, like Twitter or well, X now and start following independent journalists and that's my my advice is to get the full picture, you cannot really uh, watch the propaganda because it's uh, it's pretty much a brainwashing and you're putting yourself out up for it. Uh, by doing it, you are unwillingly really participating in endorsement of these crimes, crimes against humanity and it doesn't take any major philosophical discussion, it takes t- just having a look at what's going on in Gaza? Just just looking at few videos of what people are going through, and just asking yourself question that is this okay under any circumstances at all? And you will see that you cannot but Hamas or but Seven October or way out of it.
0: Well, honestly, Kat, that was an excellent way I think for us to conclude this uh, this podcast. Thank you so much for for coming on and for having this discussion with me here. I think it's an important one. I'm glad that we're seeing some momentum shift here, but it's people like you that helps us get to this place. So thank you for what you continue to do.
1: Thank you too for your work.
0: It's my pleasure. Talk to you soon. Take care.